Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And continuing with our 2015 season, I decided to switch up a little bit with our schedule changing a little bit because of uh, people who can't make it for a certain podcast and such. And somebody uh, suggested I do a TV show, uh, a review instead of just a movie. Who am I speaking to today? Fred Pollard? <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Brother-in-law. <laughs> you, you sound... Well, I need you to introduce yourself to the audience. That's why. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Fred Pollard. There <laughs> okay, you go. Yeah. Because you said, like, I'm Ron Burgundy? I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking, like we were saying, about it having to be a TV show. And since it's horror-related, it's kind of hard not to talk about horror TV when you're out talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which we'll be talking an overview for, as well as the episode, The Wish. <laughs> Fred, when did you get first introduced to Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I started watching it when it first originally aired. I was probably 11 or 12, and mm-hmm. that was right when uh, the WB started doing a lot of original content shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and being that I wasn't particularly interested in Dawson's Creek or uh, Seventh Heaven, um, it just worked out that it was kind of airing on a night that no one was really around in the house, and so I could just kind of watch whatever I wanted, and that was on. Right. And what was your initial reaction when you first saw it? Were you kind of, like, perplexed by it? Because if people don't understand the tone of that show, it kind of can throw them for a loop a little bit. Uh, definitely. I think the first few things that appealed to me were, I love the dialogue, um, at least, if, especially the first maybe two seasons. It had a very kind of SoCal... Uh, feel to the dialogue which at the time of being like 11 or 12 I just thought was like so cool and hip <laughs> and like I wish I talked like that you still do and uh, yeah well I guess I probably do now I mean 11 or 12 and I was all over the show uh, when it first came out I'm sure at some point it had an influence on yeah on the way that I talk and, and things like that but um you know I love that I love the fact that um uh, you know, they had one-off series, and they also had overarching villains, which I liked. I liked that they had one-off shows. Yeah. Um, I love that the body count was really high. <laughs> um, and at its core, it's kind of like a romance, and I was like a sappy, like, preteen at the time, and so right. it worked out well. Well, yeah. I, I mean, like, what well, you are saying with, like, one-off uh, episodes, I mean, for TV shows that's, like, that's not, like episodic like like law and order which is pretty much there's no really returning sure. that might not many returning characters and it's just like all right here's the crime here's what happens and then the characters may or may not change with this show it's an ongoing series of like all right every little scene should play should play into the character's arc as well as their development as, throughout the entire series but having those one-off episodes is a nice break for like the main like storyline. Sometimes, sometimes it gets a little too distracting. You're like, like, where's the villain of the uh, season? Sure, right now? absolutely. I think it definitely did that. I think also, 
Oh, with the one-off shows, it gives them an opportunity to develop side characters that would normally, um, you know, only be minor bit characters. But it kind of played like high school actually plays where, you know, you go to school with a thousand kids and you might actually have a circle of friends of 20 kids. But then you have a bunch of people that you kind of know a little bit, but not really. Right. And so like Danny Strong's character, the Jonathan, who ends up playing a lot later in the series, Mm -hmm. ends up popping up and maybe, you know, just having a few lines. But he'd have a few lines and maybe you know, four episodes throughout the season. So you get introduced right. to him as they go along. Is that the kid who, which Buffy believed was going to shoot up the school and then he, but he actually Yeah, admitted... but he was going to commit suicide in the bell tower. Right. Okay. Right. And he ends up being a villain, I think in season six. Cause he builds a robot version of Buffy, right? And that then... is uh well, that's one of his, like uh, his conspirators. So season six, it's he and two other nerds, which I think were kind of informed by Joss Whedon himself growing up, kind of envisioning this very, was kind of like misogynistic like id where you just want money and girls and video games and all these things so right these three nerds teamed up uh warren was the one who yes. did the robots um i think jonathan did magic and then the third guy andrew like summon demons or something like that right oh spike commissioned them to make the to robot make, yeah to make the buffy bots so that he could have his way with her in the later seasons which which would prove to be kind of it would be a thorn in the side and, and like because then Spike would have his own way with Buffy eventually. Sure, sure. So I guess foreshadowing a little bit as well. But also it's kind of split the crowd on that to like have them be together. Yeah, I think I think there are a few different, you know, relationship things as you go that people end up falling into like a, a camp on either side. I wasn't a big fan. I'd actually kind of by the time most of that happened, I was starting to kind of tune out on the show. I had, you know, enough stuff going on in my own life and also I felt like Really, after season five, she uh, she dies at the end of season five. Mm-hmm. That, um, and I believe the show also switched from WB to be a UPN show at okay. that point in time. So, um, I thought that season six and even season seven kind of lost their way a little bit and were kind of looking for for plot lines, and they had lost so many of their original characters to Angel or or becoming famous and doing their own thing. Like for example, uh, uh, Danny Strong, who ended up who was uh, Jonathan, who was a significant later on in the show, I'm pretty sure he ended up leaving to do screenwriting. He had wrote that movie that just came out, um, uh, The Butler. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was the, the writer for that. Huh, okay. So I That think, makes sense then. Yeah, it ended up being a launching pad for enough people that they lost, I feel like, enough significant actors. It took its toll sooner or later. Which, like, I got to see, like, because around that time, I guess... Like the first big thing now, thinking about like after the show had ended, like the first big thing Sarah Michelle Gellar did, I think, was the remake of The Grudge. Yep, I think so. And I think that was because I believe the series ended in 2003. Yes. Okay, then 2004 is The Grudge, so that was like her first big thing. And then she kind of petered off afterwards a little bit. Like she, well, she had, she's now married to Freddie Prinze Jr. and they have a family together. Yeah, and so. that happened around the same time. But I think that, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that. I don't know whether or not she got burned out on acting and the amount of time that it, it really took. Because mm-hmm. I think, remember, I remember reading that part of the reason that she backed away from the show, um, because I think it was a mix between the characters and the writers. Some of them, one, actors, wanted to keep acting. Some of them didn't. Like Anthony Stewart Head, I know, uh, wanted to get away from the show and spend more time with his family in England, which is why he's only a, a featured guest for the last two seasons. Which is completely understandable, and he has every right to be like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I think she stepped away for the same thing. It was just too long and stressful. And after after The Grudge, I think she kind of did uh, like the Scooby-Doo movies, and that was it. Yeah. And, and... Which she did with her husband. 
Yeah, yeah. So, which I mean, it's kind of like I, I the reason why uh, Rob Zombie always has his wife in all of his movies. I think like it's like it's two paychecks coming to the house rather than just yeah, one. So right. it makes financially right. sense. And you're not away from you know your spouse for eighty hours a week or something like that for you know however long. And now in retrospect, looking because you said you had marathon most of the, most of the season, or have you have you watched the beginning to end uh, over? Yeah, I just finished. Uh, I ended up finding it on Netflix about two or three months ago and started re-watching it. And I hadn't seen it since, you know, they were probably, it got syndicated maybe in 2004 or something, and I'd, I'd re-watched some of it uh, then. But I started, yeah, I started binge-watching it at that point, and I just, I just finished it maybe two weeks ago. And I'd never even seen, I hadn't seen any of season seven, mm-hmm. the original time that it came out. So I got to watch, re-watch that again. So. so with that in mind, what are you feelings on the show now? Being an, uh, an adult, um, I still love the show. I think that after season three, I think it peaked at the end of season three, which I agree. Um, and then I think they had a hard time adjusting the show for her to be in college, and it took about a half a season for them to get under wraps with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that uh, I think a lot of their decisions were informed by external factors. So the fact that uh, Angel was starting, and I think for a period of time Firefly was on at the same time. Maybe mm-hmm. that he just didn't. Uh, Joss Whedon, I mean, didn't have the time to devote towards just Buffy. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they lost uh, Charisma Carpenter, Cordelia, and and David Boreanaz and Angel weakened the show. Um, I don't know if I would have gone for the initiative, which was like that quasi military government yeah which is which like i i realized that once i was watching that season because i had pretty much i'd gone full weed in mode because i had rewatched kevin of the woods i watched that and then his feelings on the avengers he has a very anti-authoritarian feelings Definitely. that he and when you think about all the things that have happened to him when he when he be in television when it comes to studio executives like that it makes sense that he has those kind of feelings towards sure. those sure. those uh those those kind of people so I understand why like, that the initiative was came out of it. I just find it kind of ironic now the initial idea for the Avengers is called the Avengers Initiative. Yeah. Which I doubt was – I think that's pure coincidence. Yeah, I know, coincidence, I know, probably. I know Kevin Feige and Whedon were friends for years. So, But it makes sense that he went that way because it became pretty much a comic book at that point. Right. When it got to season four. Like, I mean – like you and I were talking to you early in the week that like he didn't – like you said, it came on – mid-season january the sure. first the first the season and it's only 12 episodes 12 episodes for the first season yeah. versus 22 episodes was the regular right. season and he didn't know if he was ever going to be resigned for another season it's not like hbo or like right, netflix yeah. or something like that like oh we know we have to we have times to stretch everything out without it being too noticeable and you're not like oh we're oh it's gonna be a series ending and then oh no we're coming back yeah so. he tended to do that i think almost every season he was worried about it being a series finale and you could definitely tell that it informed the way that he wrote the show because almost every season you can play as a series finale and just end the show and like the first three seasons finales are really good whether it be the first one with the master yeah, really strong the second one when she kills angel under the guise that uh, Xander lied to her right. about all the options she has, and then season three when high school is literally blown up. Sure, with the with the mayor, the mayor turning into a giant snake and eating the principal, which I I cheered loudly when I first saw that. Yeah, I loved. Uh, he was, I think, season three. I think I liked the best. I loved 
the end of season two is like unbelievable, but but the mayor throughout season three is such a great villainous character, even though he like doesn't like cursing. And he's like, like too much violence. Kind of a family guy and doesn't like violence, but at the meantime he's like, Hey, like, you know, go kill this person for me. But uh I also thought and I have to say this now that like the principal Schneider is one of the <laughs> best characters in that entire show. He is so great how much he like hates kids and can't stand being a around them at all and yet he surrounds himself by them because he feels like he has to keep an eye on everything right uh, i thought that i thought that was someone that that any teenager can be able to have someone around that's in their school that like just hates kids and hates their jobs so much but it's just stuck there yeah and like you know everybody had that history teacher or that art teacher or something like that they're, they're very begrudging towards everybody it was anybody that's under like the age of 45 or yeah something that's like that. right that's right and and I think one of my favorite moments is that I forget which episode it was, but when all the adults, um, oh band can uh, band, band candy, yeah, I think so. Yeah, band Every, candy. Everybody eats the candy, and everybody becomes really pretty much like teenagers again. And he's yeah. like dancing crazy in the bronze and stuff like that. And everybody, everybody's like raising eyebrows, like what is going on? Something. Yeah, and is he's real. a total nerd who's trying to tag along the entire night. He's like, hey guys, where are we going? <laughs> and they're like trying to ditch him the entire time because he's a total loser in high school. <laughs> and, and like he just keeps tagging along and sooner or later they just send him home. Yeah, and then, but also that same episode, that's when uh, uh, Giles shags uh, Buffy's mom. Yes, multiple times on top of the car. Oh, and was, which she only finds out in the later episode because she can like read minds or something and both giles and her mother are like avoiding her the entire episode because they don't want her to know yeah and like the first time they walk into a room she's like you did what three times <laughs> and they're like both immediately like are like oh god like let's just 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 leave oh uh, but like w- with this episode being in season three the wish before we get to there we have this we have a little bit of setup at this point that that um angel is not a main well, he's still a mainstay of the show but like his character that he was in season two is definitely not the same he's definitely reduced yeah for sure and in rewatching season two i'm just like well i mean a couple months ago i was just like wow this is really good writing right here and it's understandable why angel got a spinoff series now with season three they're approaching the end of high school faith the other slayer is introduced Mm -hmm. which is it challenges buffy and her command and everything like that and then Cordelia and uh, Xander start having a relationship together. Sure. And eventually, through a Xander Willow situa- situation, that they've had these kind of feelings for each other at different times. Yep. Finally comes to fruition, and Cordelia and Oz find out, oh, they made out, and so what are we right now? Are we really just just being held on by them? Like, like oh, they're like, they're convenient for them, or is there are the feelings real? So they're kind of confused. That's what leads into this episode, The Wish, where Cordelia meets a demon, or did you call her a wish? Yeah, she was like a vengeance demon. This is the first episode where you see uh, Anyanka or Anya, Anya, who, who lasts until the very last episode of season seven. Mm-hmm. She ends up being a main character, um, and she has my favorite moment in the entire series. No, oh, does she? In, in in the body when she breaks down. And when oh, she yeah, that's a great... And she has that speech, and then Xander punches his hand through the wall. I mean, that, I think that's my favorite Buffy moment. Yeah, that's, a great, uh, that's a great moment. And one of my great, favorite characters, because she is... I feel like she kind of replaces Cordelia in later seasons as just being the Frank, like, what the hell are we doing? Like, maybe we should run for the hills, or maybe, well, you know, why are we doing this? But also, but being pretty vain, but... um. 
that she's unaware of being vain as right. well. Yeah, she is totally like you know verbal diarrhea. Like she's brutally honest <laughs> in just whatever she's thinking. She has no. She she's like a little Aspergers, I think, or something. I mean, she's just oh, very yeah. just whatever she has to say. Like, oh, you look fat in that dress, or. Yeah. You know, like, well, that's a stupid stupid thing to say. Or, you know, like, well, if you were smart, you wouldn't have said that. But she's also really hilarious. And, like, like I said, like, so many, like, like, so many episodes would be like, oh, Giles presents the situation at hand, what they have to do. And Anya is usually the most conscious person in the room. Like, oh, we should probably do this or run. Yeah. And everybody else is like, no, that's stupid. And and sometimes she comes out to be true. And, like, she's, like, the most solid person in the room. Yeah, a lot of the time she gets to be the audience in the room, standing back and looking at all of this. And she also, as someone who's supposed to be a a vengeance Neiman, who by the end of the episode then becomes mortal, she brings this 1,000 years of experience. So in later episodes also, they'll be like, oh, you know, how do... How did we know what this demon is going to do? And she'll be like, oh, well, in 1466, I was there and saw, you know, whatever happened. Right. So, because she can also inform inform some of the decisions that they make. But, um, yeah, she's great. I thought she was really great. I think my favorite moment, favorite, like, like series of episodes is when Giles has opened the magic shop and she decides to work there. And yeah. tries to try, and she micromanages everything. Yeah, and it, she's also, like, a total capitalist. It is so <laughs> great. Like, she goes on this long diatribe about how communism doesn't work and like the worker bees need to be there to make the money to help this to do that and she is like so smitten with money and being like a capitalist business person it's the best and like even like to the point like she's like jacking up prices for certain things and like you know we could we don't have to charge that much like no no yeah. no we we can because nobody else knows the be- nobody yeah. else knows the difference and she'll also be like oh well thank you for your money please leave my store <laughs> and they'll be like please leave the store she's like well they gave me the money why would i want them to stay get out <laughs> and um with this episode like cordelia is now the laughingstock of the school because everybody thinks xander dumped Cordelia right. for Willow. What that and she's like kind of like the popular girl in the school. Right. She was taking flack for dating Xander in the first place. Which she like she disregarded anyway. It did it did hurt her from time to time from time to time, but she didn't let it affect their relationship too much. Yeah, I don't think it was too much. They had the um uh I'm trying to remember if it was the second season. It must have been the beginning of the third season or end of the second season. They had the the typical high school, um, everyone falls in love with this one guy in the school because of a spell or whatever else. Like in uh, Saved by the Bell, they had the Zach Morris subliminal PA message yes. that has all the women fall in front. They have an, a similar one. It's uh, Bewitched, bewild, like Bothered, and Bewildered or something. Yeah. And uh, Xander does the uh, the spell so that everyone falls in love so that K- Cordelia will uh, fall back in love with him. Screws up the spell and everyone falls in love with him but Cordelia. Yeah. And, and so it kind of like goes from there. And my favorite moment of that episode is when he's in the courtyard and Willow's standing there with a gang of women. And she's got the fire axe in yeah. her hand. And, like everybody... and she's like crying and freaking out like, if I can't have you, no one will. <laughs> and so like, we want a piece of you. Literally, they're going to tear him yeah, apart they're gonna because like, of it. Yeah, if you can't be with me, then I'm going to murder you. Yeah. And it gets to the point that they go to... Buffy's house and like even like Buffy's mom like starts to take oh, yeah. to hide himself in the basement to protect himself. Yeah, and they end up finding them in the basement and uh yeah, it's one of my favorite of that that string of teen uh teen episodes of, you know, uh trying to get people to fall in love with you because 
You know, I think a lot of the other episodes that do it, I'm sure almost every show, if it's on TV long enough with teenagers, ends up trying to do that around yeah. Halloween or Valentine's Day. But most of them don't go so far as, as like, murder. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, like the Saved by the Well one, they're all about to mob him, and then they're all like, oh, we were just kidding, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is, like, murder with an axe, like, people, <laughs> like, tearing each other to pieces to get to him. And... But also, like, with with Buffy, like, you say it perfectly before that um, it's all about taking responsibility and becoming an adult. Yeah. And you, and dealing with all the kinds of hormones and the changing of your lifestyle during high school because it's the perfect um, ground for that. Sure. And, like, love of relationships becomes really prevalent, especially in the second season and third season. And that's because one of those – and that's one of those reasons that – and with Whedon being a feminist – then it kind of it leads to these kind of decisions being made. So Cordelia decides to, I'm not going to take this anymore, decides to have, like, I wish Buffy never came to this school because she believes it's Buffy's reason why she ends up in all these kind of, these the, the hijinks. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I think at the beginning, at the beginning of The Wish, you first get introduced to Anya and she's kind of getting scorned by her popular friends. But then... And she's just kind of railing against Sander. You find out later that Anya, as a vengeance demon, is really there so that Cordelia can make a wish to, you know, eviscerate Xander or something. Yeah. And Buffy ends up catching up with Cordelia outside of the bronze. Just just to woman-to-woman conversation. Yeah, woman-to-woman, like, let me see if you're doing okay after this breakup. Vampire shows up. Cordelia gets thrown into a pile of garbage. Just as, like, all of her friends who were ripping on her for being with Xander in the first place walk by and could say, like, oh, well, you've got bananas in your hair. Like, you're a total loser. Convenient, but it works. Yeah, convenient, but it works. And that's the moment where she realizes, like, no, it isn't Xander that I'm really irritated at. The reason that I even thought I wanted to be with him is because Buffy made him seem kind of cooler for hanging out with them and this and that. And she really blames Buffy for the root of all of her problems. Right. And so besides, I wish Buffy never came to Sunnydale. Then Ani turns around in her full demon makeup says granted and then cuts to the alternate dimension and like like it's like sure. it's like back to future part two like when, when it's very Fly. much that same type of style like everything's cloudy everyone's wearing dark clothes and like garbage everywhere yeah. like it's it, it looks very run down and I, that's the first thing that came to mind but also that may have just played into it because it's 2015 and the anniversary is coming up and i was at comic-con this weekend where they were pepsi was pushing back to future part two oh, really hard um so then Cordelia starts to realize there's certain rules in this world that she's not aware of and talks to Harmony, like the number two popular girl in sure. school, to find out what's the, the bee's knees, as it were, and decide, and finds out, yeah, oh, Xander and Willow are dead. Right. And she doesn't believe her. And then goes outside and finds out once sun goes down. And yeah, a there's a curfew. Don't wear bright colored clothes. Students aren't allowed to drive. Which I, That one I don't understand. I don't understand. They never really explained it. I did like they made a casual reference when she first makes the wish. A guy asks her to like the homecoming brunch. Yeah. And not the homecoming dance because everything has to take place during the day. So like all the students are forced to have like a brunch instead of like a night, a dance at night and stuff. And before that, there's like there's a, a moment of really funny line of dialogue is when they're, t- they're in the classroom. The teacher's like, "Oh, we're having a monthly memorial tomorrow, uh, so uh, no class." Yeah, no and class. He, and I, grabs his papers and runs out the door. I'm like, I'm like, oh, that's really that's nice little subtle like showing of showing of the hand of what's going on. Right. right? And also, uh, when he's in the class, it's it's like a regular class with twenty desks, but there are only maybe like thirteen kids there. Yeah, like seven of the desks are empty. 
and it, like it's starting to become like dusk, and that's why he's like scrambling to get out of there. Cordelia walks the streets at night and eventually runs into uh, Xander and Willow. And like I, I tweeted that before, like I, I wish us in the bizarre world and you're still together. Yeah, and you're still together and they're hanging all over each other. And it turns out they're vampires and decide to attack Cordelia, where Giles and Oz and a few of the other characters that you've seen earlier in the season. Sure. So, yeah, I know. Uh, I didn't know because I just rewatched this episode uh, for the podcast um, the other day. And I didn't recognize the girl who was a part of it, but um, the guy I do. The guy is Larry, who in the first season or second season, Xander goes to approach him about whether or not he's like a killer. <gasps> but it turns out that Larry's gay, gay and has this confessional about being gay <laughs> and thinks Xander is the one trying to get him to come out of the closet. And he's like, "So you are too, right?" Like, no. Uh, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> and Larry's just like, "Don't worry, wink, wink. Your secret's safe with me." And Xander's like, "I'm really not gay." <laughs> but two backstories about that. I think one. I thought that it was an important part to have both Giles, Oz, and Larry there because it shows that even without Buffy, they, they're good characters. Like, yeah. You know, like at their heart, like Larry's still like a really great guy and, the, and Oz is still a really great guy. They would be heroes regardless of whether or not, you know, Buffy had ever come into town. Um, and I think, uh, what was my second point? Did oh, you write it down? Um, with Larry, I thought that it was also interesting that he was a total schmuck at the beginning of the episode uh season one season two but as soon as he has that story uh uh, that conversation with xander he completely switches yeah and he ends up helping in season three and i think at the end of season two just to be like muscle and an extra person he always volunteers his time to help yeah especially when they have the uh, the assault at the high school he's on like he's on the front line with everybody which also apparently dies at the end of that episode you don't see it Oh, but apparently okay. he ends up dying in that episode. Huh, I didn't know that. So Cordelia is saved by Giles and Oz, who do not recognize her because she's like because she doesn't run with this crowd in this sure. universe. And she's like, Oh, Buffy should be here, the Slayer should be here, and everybody starts looking at her like tilting at windmills or something like that. Right. Like everything's like, This is really strange and then we finally get to see what the bronze is like in this alternate dimension and it's it's pretty much like the vampire hangout. Right, yeah, it's like the master's lair now. And the master who was killed off in season one is obviously still alive because Buffy never came Buffy back. Buffy never showed. And he's about to start this deed of having this like factory that mass produces blood by via captured humans, ingenious and stuff like that. And I understand that he wants to go that wants that to go off without a hitch. So that's why he orders Willow and Xander to go after Cordelia because if she's speaking of the Slayer, so willy-nilly maybe a few people actually get the idea to bring her here and sure, stop our sure. plans and, and yeah and ruin the plans i think that uh i like that they brought the master back as as a villain uh since she never showed up to kill him i also really love um just because it really hasn't been done in very many vampire movies or really too many horror movies at all the one that really jumps out at me but it really isn't isn't quite the same is like in dusk till dawn they have the vampire bar yeah and everything like that but it's not quite like the hedonistic deal that it is with the bronze the bronze is like um you know like the nightclub hangout it's it's the peach pit yeah of of buffy the vampire slayer besides the library it's got to be the number two hangout yeah and it's kind of this dark nightclub with a stage and pool tables and everything uh but in this episode because we're in this bizarro world I mean, they're like cages with humans stuck in them getting tortured slowly by by vampires. And, like, the pool table isn't for pool. Like, they have people chained, like like, like, Spread Eagle, on the table to be tortured. You know, they've got got 
you know, it's just like this total debauchery, uh, like torture room right. place. And you really don't see, you know, I feel like vampires are kind of hanging in the shadows or hiding underground. And for most of the season they are, but this is kind of where you see them completely unencumbered yeah. by, by the Slayer not being there and what, what it could be like. And, and it shows that the town doesn't like the town's in fear of them rather than the vampires being in fear of the townspeople. Like right. the, the vampires have the upper hand. Yeah, absolutely. That's why they feel so comfortable to have that kind of a establishment that everybody knows about. And yet nobody ventures in there to go and stop. Yeah, it. absolutely. Uh, you know, even at the beginning of the, uh, of the episode, Cordelia, when she's trying to kind of get the ground rules from this new world from harmony, uh, she's like, Oh, well, are we going to the bronze tonight? And they all look at her like askance. Yeah. Because they all know, like, what goes on, but it's not like they're doing anything about it. No, yeah. And then, but going back to what you were saying before about, like, Oz, Larry, and Giles would be good guys regardless of what dimension they're in. Going back to what I was saying about with the, like, Xander making that one decision to lie to Buffy to kill Angel during season two, and then what Willow would become in later seasons, do you think... Whedon always had that idea that these two were really kind of messed up characters or could, had the potential to be? Well, I feel like uh, a few things. I think, one, I know that, that Joss Whedon wanted one of those two characters to be to be gay in later seasons, either Xander or Willow. And I know that originally he was really thinking that it was going to end up being Xander. Um, but for whatever reason, I think uh, possibly Seth Green leaving the show helped inform it. Okay. But he decided to go the way that Willow would end up being gay. Um Two, I think that, I mean, I think Willow's kind of a really tragic figure here. I mean, she was like this really cute, upbeat, positive, nerdy little girl. And then by season six, I mean, the the, the villainous arc of season six is that Willow's the villain. Yeah. And it really becomes like a, a metaphor for addiction and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to Xander, you know, at the end of season three, this is, uh, you know, Willow's going to try and return Angel's soul to stop stop him from opening, you know, the gates of hell and everything else like that. Uh, season three or season two? Oh, I'm sorry, season two. Okay. And uh, and he meets up with her to get uh, Giles out of there, who's being tortured. Mm-hmm. And, and she says, oh, you know, he's like, oh, Willow wanted to tell you something. And she said, you know, what is it? I don't think that he lied to her because he didn't care about Angel and was against the relationship or anything like that. I think that, I think that, he was concerned that it would be more difficult for her to do what she had to do if she knew that there was a chance that they could return his soul. So I think that, like, I don't think he was doing it for for negative purposes. I think he looked at her and saw, like, this is already hard enough on her as it is. Like, don't worry about it. Just go in there and take care of business. Which is a heated debate that goes on today. So many blogs still, that one moment is still debate, like, questioned about, like, what is his true intention? What did um, the actor, like, what was his idea when he was saying those words did he like when he was getting prepared for it did he did he think to himself was i being have malice towards this or was i just trying to be comforting and like you have to do this that's that's something that of course only he would know yeah of course he would only know and i think that um you know i tend to think that that yeah he was doing it to be comforting but also at the same time in the end it really doesn't matter i mean whether or not she knew his soul might be returned or not returned she still had to kill him at that point. Right. I mean, so it doesn't really impact the, um, you know, the way that the the show is going to play out. Um, You know, he hadn't gained his soul back by the time they were still fighting. I mean, she might not have been shocked that she had to kill him then Mm -hmm. or that he was getting his soul back, but, but he had already opened the door to hell. So he had to die either way. Right. 
it's just like one like we're saying tragedy being part of every person's life like life is not fair and this is what this show tries to teach us and you just have to like every other human supposed to deal with it best way possible sure well buffy never never makes subtle metaphors i mean every metaphor that was made in this show they kind of beat you over the head with it i mean even this show the wish it ultimately comes down to be careful what you wish for and you know it's not it's not subtle in that i mean uh when when angel you know loses his soul and gets it back again or whatever else i mean it's not a particularly complex metaphor, but sometimes you have sex with your boyfriend and he ignores you and goes away and becomes a mean or different person because yeah. he was just looking to have sex with you. Right. I mean, those metaphors are all over the show and they're usually, they usually club you over the head pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, you say pretty ham-fisted, but it's also that the morning after that episode, once she finally loses her virginity to him and then how he's acting to it, it is pretty, it's pretty harsh. Oh, it's totally harsh. I mean... It's totally brutal. I mean, and yeah. And you just you feel so bad, especially with Sarah Michelle Gellar's like face, and she's just like, what did I do wrong? Yeah, what did you do wrong? And he's like, no, yeah, it was all right. Like, because he comes back, yeah, and at that point, I mean, he isn't going to fight her or bite her or do anything. He's, he's just being chauvinistic. Apath- yeah, he's just kind of apathetic and chauvinistic and changing his shirt and going back out to go party or something like that. And it's just like, oh, it must be like, the world must be like, it cracks for her at that moment. Yeah, because- totally. And... Another thing that I realized that with this episode is because eventually Cordelia is murdered by Xander and Willow in the library. Yeah, when, right in front of Giles. When he was locked in the cage. Because like, that cage comes into handy several episodes. I it realized totally it, does. It's, and it's ridiculous how it's like the most impermeable cage when they want it to be. And at other times it's super convenient and not. So it's like, a total MacGuffin right I there. I mean, yeah. I mean, they keep uh, Oz in there when he's a werewolf and he can't get out. But then Giles, yeah, and Giles beats off the doorknob when he needs to get out with like an axe. But also, if you remember back to the season one, the pack, um, Xander and everyone turns into a hyena, like have the primal hyena powers or whatever. After they eat the first principal, yeah, after they eat poor principal Flutie. <laughs> that uh, and and oh, what the heck is the name of the pig? Like Bernard the pig or something like, like, like that. Oh yeah, it was the mascot. For the yeah, school, the so mascot. Like... <laughs> but um. But at that point, they they don't particularly have super strength. But the three other members of like the hyena pack come in, and they just kind of like tug on the door a few times and rip it off its hinges. Yeah. So it's like so it can keep in a werewolf and like keep out vampires, but like a few teenagers can also just kind of like rip the door off. Like, all right. Yeah, I know. It's very, like I said, it's convenient is definitely the word yeah. to use for that. Also, there's no reason for a high school library to have a metal cage. Yes, I mean like you're not you're not keeping first editions in a high school library. Yeah, although they do bring it up, it is great. Um, again, with the library, a later episode when it's the uh, the two young children die and they go on the witch hunt. Yeah, after things that are like spiritual or the occult. Uh, the principal and the police end up coming in and taking all of Giles' books away, and they're looking at him like, why the hell do you have 200-year-old volumes on the occult? This is a high school library. <laughs> like, there's no reason for these things to be here. And it was kind of like a ton-in-cheek moment because clearly they've been doing it for seasons, and yeah. it's totally ridiculous. Especially like the first episode when she goes to the library and he pulls out the, like, the gigantic Vampira book and yeah. drops it on the table. And so Cordelia is murdered. Xander and Willow leave. Giles realizes, like, maybe she was on something about the Slayer. Calls, like, her watcher, which is in Cleveland. Decides, like, hey, if you can get in contact with her, can you send her here? Because we have a hell mouth that something bad is about to happen. The Master's plan is going off without a hitch. 
we find out Angel's being tortured and uses like pretty much a dog because he has his soul and doesn't want to go along with the shenanigans that those vampires yeah, are doing. Yeah, sure. He tried to disrupt, I think, the opening of that factory. I think they casually mentioned that. Yeah. And so, yeah, they lock him up, and since he's a vampire, they're stabbing him with scissors and putting out matches on his skin and all types of stuff, yeah. And, and Giles is going home one night, which he, he's driving home. I guess maybe that's the reason why driving, I guess, like, and that's when he stops and saves a few people from being abducted uh, by vampires with a van. And it has one of my favorite, like, it's like a really funny, like, pratfalls when Giles saves all the, va- all the kids from the vampires and he turns around while the van doors are open, takes the van door to the face and just wham. Yeah, it gets right- knocked out. And that's when Buffy comes in, and she's supposed to be dark Buffy, and saves and saves them. Yeah, you can tell because of the scar on her face. And she's very intense and dresses like a man. And yeah. It's like, what do you think of Gail's performance there? I thought it was, you know, I thought it was okay. I would have liked it to be a little bit harder. I think she was more nonsense, and she's definitely... Buffy's always kind of like this bubblegum teenager, which is kind of what Joss Whedon always wanted her to be. Yeah. Like, she wasn't ever supposed to be, like, the smartest person in the room, but she's supposed to have a lot of heart and be this sweet victim that she would think otherwise in any right. other any other series. She'd be the murdered murdered person in the alley. Um, so I thought it was okay. I think that... I thought that she could have come off a little harder than she did, but she also only has you know, maybe a few... maybe a dozen or two dozen lines of dialogue in the show because she shows up most of the way through it and they're trying to fill in plot points with the mass scenes with maybe just the master or this and that that um i thought that the the only scenes where she really had some character development was when she went to go find them at the bronze the bronze is now emptied because everyone's at the factory mm-hmm. trying to you know i guess drain the first victims and you know everybody has a toast and they all would all go home or something right she finds angel and they have a moment where she has no idea who he is, but he knows who she is still, because if you'll flash back to the end of season two, when they have the, I think it's Becoming, yeah, part one and two, they flash back to the first time uh, Angel gets found in America by that guy, I think his name is Whistler or something, yeah. and he, Whistler takes him to L.A. to see Buffy, so he still has that moment where he's seen Buffy before she is a, a slayer at all. She's just a girl, I think, having like a rim po- ring pop on, on the stairs. Right, and he's like hiding in the shadows in the bright sunlight, like, and like underneath like some leaves or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're also, it gets worse throughout the show how much they really try and bend the rules with vampires and sunlight to the point that it's just like, as long as it's not direct sunlight and I'm under some trees, I'll be fine. And like, let me just throw a blanket over me and I'll, I'll only cook a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It, meanwhile, earlier on in the seasons, if they were in any sunlight at all, they'd instantly burst into flames. It wouldn't be like a thing where it's they're like it's not kryptonite where they slowly lose their powers. I mean, they're supposed to spontaneously combust. Yeah. So, they definitely got weak with that. I thought that um I thought she did okay, but I thought that it should have been it should have been a little bit of a rougher edge. And like she's like then she had that kind of moment again with Faith's personalities in her body a few sure. episodes later and she's supposed to be I'm supposed to be tough and carefree and it's like it's a little bit outside of Geller's wheelhouse as an actress. Not to say anything is bad about it, but I feel like she wasn't comfortable in that or like she couldn't convey it strong enough that I felt really believed. Yeah, it. I thought that probably for her doing the show so much, I'm sure it was probably enjoyable to like play some other role. I did enjoy, I didn't like her being Faith as much as I liked her being Faith pretending to be Buffy. Yeah. There's a moment when Faith is in her body and she's looking in the mirror and practicing saying, no, but that would be wrong. Right. That I thought was like really endearing and seemed genuine. But 
as much as I love Sarah Michelle Gellar, and it's one of the reasons I originally fell in love with the shows, because I thought she was totally hot and I was, like, 12, mm-hmm. she does not have the broadest range of acting skills, I think. No, I mean, like, the, like you could make that one criticism of the body is because, um, like, of her limited range or something Yeah, like but that. it ends up working so well there. Yeah, no, because Whedon knew by that point what she could do and yeah. crafted that episode for her exact range. Yeah. I mean... When it comes to range, I think uh, Allison Hannigan probably has the best one because she comes back as Dark Willow and has to pretend to be Dark Willow at one point, and she has that moment where I'm just being really Willow, and then she like waves and winks at the audience pretty much. Like, oh, oh my, I'm... yeah, that's the uh, the doppelgang episode. Yes. Yeah, she has a ton of range in that, and the fact that even in in this episode, The Wish, uh, I think both of them. I think Xander does a good job too. Um, they both seem very comfortable and completely sell their roles as vampires. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I kind of noticed that like he pretty much has the same jacket as Spike. He does, yeah. They're both pretty leather clad whenever they're vampires. I don't know what the deal is with that. Yeah, and like if I always say, if they're attracted to bright colors, why don't they wear bright colors? Yeah, you would think, I guess. I mean, but, uh, uh, yeah, um, I hadn't really thought about that. When they're walking the bronze, when they say that, I'm just like, huh. Why, like, why is everybody... Oh, okay, I guess... Nah. Yeah, I guess maybe they're going for some sort of, like, predator-prey type of natural selection thing that they go for bright colors or something, but... Now I'm just imagining if they all, like, what if the Master is dressed like Ziggy Stardust? Like, something really exuberant. Yeah, totally like. ridiculous. <laughs> well, they do have, um... When they have the Dracula episode, which I thought was completely awful in the later seasons, he's pretty flamboyant. And, but that, but that idea came about, like, he's public domain. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it also... Uh, that was like to me that episode was really like the death knell of Buffy because at that point it became like it was it was over the line of camp yeah and the show took itself so seriously for the first few seasons and then at that point it was just like well what ideas do you guys have uh I had this uh, journal entry when I was in third grade fantastic how about we have her work at a fast food joint yeah that's great we want to see her heroin in a totally depressing job that would be like really (laughs) thrilling but but it's about life and it's like how real people have to deal with things i'm like yeah but i need some levity yeah you need some and and it's also at least at that point in the show i mean if you really stop and you think about it there are so many inconsistencies which is one of my biggest problems with the show that if they had spent more time or maybe if joss whedon had more time just to devote towards the show Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been an issue i mean for example i thought it was nice after buffy's mom dies that yeah like money is an issue that everybody has to deal with at some point yes but also like there's the watchers council which they establish earlier on like pays giles a salary like why wouldn't they pay Buffy a salary so she doesn't have to work and can just devote herself to being the slayer like you'd think maybe they'd cover her bills I never thought of that I have one more inconsistency and then we'll get back to the show that totally has been driving me crazy since I binge watched the show so season 7 is mostly uh, the gathering of these potential slayers they're saying that there's this faux lineage of slayers so that when one slayer dies the next one's born yeah but who's picked is already essentially predetermined yes so they know out of a, a handful of girls it's going to be one of those girls that's predetermined right so buffy dies in the end of season one she drowns for yes. a couple of minutes and that's how kendra yes becomes a slayer so buff that's two slayers now so kendra dies and that's how faith gets called mm-hmm. right so now there's still two slayers then buffy dies again in season five. In season five, and there's no new Slayer. And then... You think it's because... Mm, because No, because Buffy was already alive when Kendra died, and so there was a new Slayer. So there should then be three Slayers. Yeah. And then Buffy dies towards the maybe 
three episodes to go in season six. She gets shot by Warren, flatlines, and Willow pulls the bullet out with magic and restarts her heart. But Mm. she flatlines, which is what they said when she first rounds, that's all you need to call a new Slayer. So at that point, there should be four Slayers there, and they never do anything about it. It goes to show you, because along with Firefly and Angel... Whedon was also developing an animated series that never came to fruition. Him and Jeff Loeb, who's a comic book writer you know him best from Batman Long Halloween, Dark Victory. Long Halloween, we wouldn't have the movie The Dark Knight the way it is without Jeff Loeb's writing. And so he called Loeb into his office one day, and he says, Oh, I don't want to talk about comics. I don't want to talk about anything you've done thus far. I enjoy your work, and you've enjoyed my work, so I've heard. Let's do a Buffy animated series. So they initially wanted to do that. So he he developed that along with Eric Radomski, who did the Batman animated series. Um, they developed that for like almost 18 months, and that it never came to fruition because Disney said no. Yeah, it was like proper like uh, intellectual rights or whatever, and, and they couldn't get the go-ahead. And like they tried with MTV, nothing. And I remember I listened to an interview with Jeff Loeb and saying like after the Avengers, him and Loeb got together and say, we have a TV series, and pretty much walked out with like pretty much a blank check, and they had, they recalled the events of what happened years prior with the Buffy series, and I'm like, huh, yeah, she was on the other foot right now. Yeah, exactly. So you have pretty much four shows going on at the time, as well as he's pretty much starting a family If I you know, at this point. Because I, th- I believe he was – I don't know if he's officially married or he's like they're kind of like common law, right, right. husband and wife. And that L.A. Like that. marriage. Yeah, no, I, I, it must be nice, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and so we have all that going on. It makes sense that he would delegate it to other writers, other writers he felt confident enough in, but maybe are not – maybe not have the Midas touch as he does. So that's sure. why there's so many inconsistencies. Yeah, and they certainly crop up more and more. Uh, as the show goes on. One of the show's faults, I think, and it's a bit inevitable. Uh, one of the reasons I think the show works so well at the the first three seasons is because it manages to stay contained within Sunnydale. You know, before uh, you find out in this episode, The Wish, that Buffy is in Cleveland, yeah. you don't really ever think about anything else going on outside of Sunnydale. You're not worried about vampires in L.A. or New York City killing people yeah. because the excuse is always, well, there's a hellmouth here, so well, whatever evil there is in the world, it's, it's drawn there. to us, and so we don't have to worry about all these other things. But as soon as you start bringing in, like, the initiative, which is a military, you know, institution or, um, you know, people being in Cleveland or it flashes to the Slayer uh, during one of Spike's flashbacks being in New York City. On the subway system. Right. It ends up becoming so large that no one person can really deal with it. Like, even if the Slayer was the best person ever, it's just too much for her. Yeah. It's too much for any one person. And so it ends up drowning in its own... Universe. Like, universe. You can't... You can't... You can't worry about those things. I mean... uh, Season uh, season five when they're running away from glory because yeah. she's a god. Like as soon as they found out she was a god, they should have packed up the RV and just bounced. Yeah, like right away they could have just gone to a different city and avoided the entire thing. Like if they put Dawn on a plane and flew her to Europe, like they would have solved whatever problems were there. Yeah, I mean like the only problems would be like probably monks would probably track her down and try and kill her. Or kind of like what I believe that happens at least once in season five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have the uh, the knights of whatever, which is, I feel like, a, a totally weak. They end up having, like, a horse chase in a Winnebago. It's ridiculous. <gasps> yes, I remember that. And oh. just being like, why are they on horses if it's 2015? This is so <laughs> ridiculous. And all it is is, like, a filler. Like, they have 
because the, all of the knights end up getting murdered by glory at one episode anyway. So they, they're in there for like 20 minutes as like filler space and then they just disappear. But that has my, probably my favorite line from Spike when glory goes in to talk to them and stuff like that. And Prairie, everybody forgets that glory was there and killed all the knights. Yeah, and he's the only one who remembers. Yeah, it's like, is everybody really stoned right now? <laughs> yes. Dude, what do you mean? We all just saw that happen. They're all like, so what happened? He's like, are you guys serious? <laughs> yeah, he is great. But like that, like, uh, that's probably one of my favorite Spike moments along with when the Native American spirit comes to kill... Uh, oh, and he's like the pincushion? Yeah, and he's just like, a bear! You you made a bear! <laughs> you made a bear! I didn't mean to... Undo it! Undo it! Undo it! Undo it! <laughs> and he's just like sitting there with like nine arrows, like just pincushioned into him. He looked like Sean Bean in Lord of the Rings. Like, that's where he pretty much ended oh up. Oh my gosh, like, yeah, that was great. That was great. I mean, that's like, that's probably like one's defining characteristics that he could turn like any ridiculous line and make it either funny or actually somewhat believable. Yeah, believable. I also loved, uh, I really love his flashback story yes. to when he's William the Bloody, but the reason he got his nickname is he's bloody terrible. he's a bloody terrible poet. But when you first meet him, you think it's like, oh, because he's this torturing guy, but he's trying to rhyme like effulgent or yeah. something like that. And it's just like, really? Yeah. And that's why nobody takes him seriously. And that's why he becomes a, Distressed and sees an opportunity to live on forever. Sure, and yeah. and um, but back to the wish. Um, so Buffy recognizes the angels a, a vampire and hesitates to let him tag along for this assault on the factory, but eventually does. Right, he shows her like the torture and the burns or whatever else, and uh, and she believes him. At the same time, Giles is investigating the necklace that Anya gave Cordelia earlier on, and then says. Maybe this is the key to her power. Once he read it in a book, like once you destroyed the key to her power, everything should go back to normal. And, and right, it'll reverse all her wishes. Yeah, and it and it begs the question because Whedon, being an open atheist, and like having such like like and when Anya says, um, "How do you know the the other world is better?" And he says, "It has to be." Yeah, because it has to be, and because he, he has a certain belief, he like Whedon being like he never begrudges anybody that has faith sure and that like it's so easy that somebody's like just like oh like oh you have faith you're stupid or something like that and just write certain fiction to just bash it for the sake sure, of it sure like um what's his um uh, guy who wrote um or uh orson scott uh hard hard he wrote uh ender's game oh yeah he became a mormon later in life and like a lot of the ender's game books later on started becoming more and more mormon-esque yeah yeah and so it kind of like you can't separate your actual writing from your own personal beliefs and politics well i think that i would absolutely agree with that i would also say that um despite the fact that it has this massive body count and and all these tragedies here and there and you know even characters that are are longer term characters like miss carpenter who end up getting killed there is a there's an optimism throughout the show that things will be better, can be better, mm-hmm. should be better. I mean, you know, she always wrestles with the fact that I'm this cho- I have this chosen destiny and, and sooner or later I'm going to die. You know, but it was also like um, Prophecy Girl season one, the, the se- season finale, you know, she finished and she's like, well, we saved the world. I guess we party. Yeah. You know, like there is supposed to be that certain type of irreverence to it because otherwise, like so many people die in this show. Like, half the high school gets murdered <laughs> and and people would just curl up into a ball and the only time you really see it affect people is prophecy girl a willow walks in 
yeah. into that room and everyone's murdered and it like totally throws her for a loop. But mm-hmm. besides that, I mean, uh, I was also rewatching. They had the uh, that terrible internet episode in season one. Oh, the the like demon, that the demon knows. that makes wants people to love them. Yeah, um, which also has one of the creepiest moments in I think the series. But like, there's this really nice guy. He ends up being he's the um, the guy who dies in the original Fast and the Furious. Oh, he's, yes, he's, yeah, he's yeah, Eddie yeah. in the show, but I, I don't recall what his acting name is. But like, he gets hung. Like someone like makes it look like he is a suicide. Creepiest moment is when he doesn't know what's going on yet and the computer starts typing out his suicide note in front of him. Yeah. And then he they like like Willow finds him like hanging in the computer room. And like the next episode, everything's fine. Yeah, but this is also the same season that has a possessed doll that you think is a, uh, an evil person but ends up being a good guy and helps save the day at the end. Yeah. I mean, yeah, season 1 was a little rough, but also like I mean with the body count there has to be there has to be a level of optimism and, and ability to forget, like, the things that have already happened or people would just be, like, shells. I mean, I would love to see, like, kind of like a, like, not like an Elseworlds comic, but like a comic from, like, a police officer's standpoint in that town. Sure. There's, like, uh, it's like the, the joke in Hot Fuzz, like, have you ever realized the murder rate is so low, but the accident rate is it's so, so high? high. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah? No? Yeah. And, and just be like, why is so many tragedies happen in this beautiful town in california yeah exactly i mean if you had i mean just like yeah in prophecy girl they walk in and they're you know like eight dead teenagers if you had eight dead teenagers it would be this massive story not just like well we're gonna have the dance tonight anyway yeah, just, like um, those um, kids died that night and they had the prom like the next day like you'd think maybe they'd have a memorial or something but in the show cops show up so sparingly yeah. Season six, they're in there, and... Um, uh, Principal Snyder has a moment with... Schoolhard. Yeah. Yeah. With the, the uh, cops saying, like... I think they mentioned what we are just talking about, like, something happening. He's like, don't worry, and they, he lets on that so he knows more... Yeah, both the cops and the principal are aware that it's vampires or something occult, but they just blame it on... They're like, what are you going to say? Are you actually going to tell them it's vampires? We have to tell them it's a gang on PCP. Yeah. And that kind of that kind of helps right off whatever's going on because again as soon as you bring in police officers you're now expanding the Buffy universe right and you're making things larger than the high school involved and there's uh, one of the screenwriting books I read it was like like certain like rules of screenwriting that you should never do like if you're doing something like and it's something that he talks about when he had an interview with Spielberg keep the press out like an E.T. government agents take over that house and stuff like that and then nobody know like the loose little the neighborhood doesn't look like know what is going on. Do you see? Do you see a single news? Yeah, band exactly. Because it would make it too big and it would take it away from the story that's going on right sure, there. Sure, absolutely. And so I guess that's part of the reasons why they decided to do that, even though they kind of shoot themselves in the foot by saying this happened in this location, this happened here later on. Sure, I think that they also probably went out of their way to do that because they also try and keep guns out of the show as much as possible because everything's kind of crossbows or stakes or this or that. Um, when there's somebody... an episode where Darla, I think, has a gun and shoots at them and, and when Warren shoots and kills Tara. Yeah. Uh, but with the exception of that, I mean... Like, the, like with, like, um, what's his name? Like, uh, thinking about committing suicide, like, that episode... Did not air initially because yes. of, because of Columbine. Yeah, it aired right around Columbine. They yeah. delayed it, I think, for a month or something. And, and we didn't. Everybody else on the show was completely yeah, like sure, like we'll do that because sure the story arc maybe a little bit maybe a little jumble, but we're not gonna just like no, we're gonna be 
art, art not, must not be stopped because they respected what happened to the families in that tragedy. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And also, they do that a, a, I felt like a lot of times that they were probably better off having the one-off episodes towards the beginning of the seasons because by the end of the seasons, especially I recall in like season two and season three, and to a certain extent season four, you're so involved in the overarching story by by episodes 18, 19, 20. Yeah. That I don't want to I don't want to see something else. You know what I mean? Like I think their second to last episode, like, you know, season two or season three is like the uh the swim team episode where like the swimmers turn into fish. Yeah. And it's a pretty stupid idea for an episode. Regardless. But it's also like right before the season finale. So you're expecting like a build up to the season finale and you're getting like the stupid fish episode. But if it was the like second episode of the season, it wouldn't bother me. And I think what's his, what's his name from Prison Break is one of the yes. swimmers. Yes, he is. And he's now on uh, The Flash as Captain Cold right now and stuff yeah. like that, um, which I, I just find really funny now. Um, so Buffy and Angel assault the factory once all the other people a lot of people have been captured by the yeah, master including you see Oz, Oz is stuck in the cage and Larry's stuck in the cage and they break them out and uh, have this big brawl in this like I know like it's a small budgeted TV show is like barely like four walls per set yeah and like it's a, an impressive factory of one conveyor belt yeah they, and it's in the middle of the floor <laughs> and like I'm like the entire bed budget went to the me- mechanisms of building that conveyor belt totally and they do I do love the sets I mean for the budgets that they had a lot of the sets are really great I realize like a lot of the stuff happens in a warehouse or like in a factory or something like that like, right it's a heavily industrialized area <laughs> Sunnydale I guess but um but they usually do a pretty good job you know, even if they were, I know in season one, they, I think they only used like one or two hallways yeah, for the entire high school, but mm-hmm. it ended up pulling it off pretty well. But uh, I think, I think that scene with the conveyor belt is in the bronze because the master is up on the stage that eerily looks like the stage in the bronze. Oh, I didn't think about that. It's probably, they probably repainted that. Yeah. They're that. like, quick, get all the pallets you can and bring them <laughs> to the club. And so Buffy starts attacking everybody. Willow dies, Xander dies at the same time. Buffy dies. Buffy dies at the same moment when Giles gets the upper hand and smashes the necklace that Anya yeah, had. Yeah, while this is going on, Giles is summoning Anya. Yeah. Which is how she comes back into play. Yes. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, like we were saying before, the Whedon being a feminist and like women should be able to do whatever they want and have, have that whatever feelings. It's because of the actions of a man that led to this situation. Sure. And I think it's, that's like, but maybe those subtle, I guess maybe slightly subtle metaphor compared to the overarching metaphor of that season. And I always thought that was, and it's like, it's a man that kills the uh, lead character and with uh, the master snapping her neck. And sure. Sidebar. I always thought the master is pretty much just like a really piss poor, no, uh, count Orlock from Nosferatu. Yeah, definitely with his, his fruit punch mouth. <laughs> yes. We should kill the, 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 the slayer I, yeah he was definitely that he was definitely not like the scariest of bad guys but that being said uh, one of the reasons that I like the mayor I've always said that like enthusiasm is really important when it comes to a villain and he was certainly like enthusiastic about it like he was very like the world the world is going to end with his hands <laughs> above his heads like shaking them around and you're like he just he definitely went all in on the role because if a if a villain's good at what he does, the audience will respect him. Yeah, you respect it anyway. Like Darth Vader, it. yeah, Boba Fett, Hannibal Lecter, they all 
do what they do really well. Yeah, regardless, you end up, they're not believable, but you end up going along for the ride anyway, for sure. And so the necklace is destroyed and everything goes back to normal and Anya is immortal. And Cordelia makes the wish, but like, like most people are like, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. Cordelia just walks yeah, off. and like, keeps making them while Anya keeps trying to fulfill the wishes and can't. Yeah. I think that, uh, quickly, I think it's, it is interesting to know that like, um, you know, it, it was all because of, essentially because of Xander and Willow and this thing that she makes the wish. But I think it is also interesting that for like a vengeance demon that's supposed to be like the vengeance demon of scorned women. Yeah. Like the wish that was sp- supposed to be fulfilling to Cordelia ended up bringing about her own death. Yeah. So it's in the end, it really tale. isn't about making, you know, uh, seeking vengeance doesn't doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't reward you in any type of way. Mm-hmm. In the end, it ends up hurting you. Yeah. So you should really be like letting it go. I thought I thought that it was great that they killed Cordelia in the first, you know, like twenty minutes of the episode. Then you're like, because she's our in because she's the alien in this world, pretty much. And it's kind of like why we love Marty McFly in Back to the Future when he goes back to the past. You're like, everything seems so different to us, and he's experienced the exact same way the audience is. And then all of a sudden, our in is killed, very much like Psycho, like Janet Lee. Sure, like, we're we're going with her on this journey, and then she's dead. And you're like, oh, who? Yeah, who I guess am we're I just with? stuck here now. Yeah. And, like, with the rest of the season goes on and it leads to the destruction of the high school and everything like that. And Cordelia would go on to L.A. with Angel, which I've never seen Angel. Why did she go to L.A. with him? So, because I guess because she didn't go to Sunnydale. So, at, at the end of season three, when they're all comparing what colleges they got into, she ends up getting into a bunch of really good schools. Right. But in the end, her father... She always she's like the rich girl in school. It turns out it's because her father's been like embezzling and evading taxes the entire time. So they right. lose their house, their car, and all their money. So she can't afford to go to any of the colleges that she got into because she's actually smart, but and right. never shows it. Right. So I think you know I only watched Angel a little bit. It was a little. I just I didn't like the way that it expanded the universe to L.A. because like if people are getting murdered in every country in every city and in every country by vampires, then like what the hell is Buffy doing in like a suburb of you know whatever city she's outside of? Right. You know, it, it, she should be in New York City then, or she should be in L.A. Like regardless of the Hellmouth. Um. Um. But it also seemed very kind of police procedural. Yeah. Like it was a little Law and Order like on the law side because their big villain was like. Like a law firm yes. that, that supports demons or something. Like I just I just couldn't quite make that leap. But there's also one of those things like Sunnydale is a so nondescript yeah. suburb that like that looks like my neighborhood. Or right, like exactly. Same thing like kinda of like how Scream the Scream series was. Like that town looks like I could live there. That college looks generic enough. I could have gone there. Sure. Scream three, it's in Hollywood. You're like I don't I've never been, so I can't sure. really relate to that. It's one of those things like you put in a very recognizable thing uh location, you're gonna lose the audience when it comes to personal relationships to it. Sure, but it's also I can also see how I mean, you know, not everybody grows up in a suburb. There are plenty of people that grow up in the city and then yeah. they want something they can relate to, but it wasn't it just didn't seem everything was of course, you know, it's Angel, so most of it takes place at night anyway. Right. But I mean it's it just went a little too far to like that sexy vampire cliche where he's got like a dark office and it's like, you know, very well lit with like nice artifacts around. And all of a sudden he has like money for no apparent reason. And it just seemed very like forced, I guess. It's very like, like Buffy was kind of like created as a response to 
um, interview with a vampire. What's what's the author's name of that? Uh, Anne Rice. Anne Rice. It's kind of a response to the Anne Rice vampires sure. of the mid nineties. Inadvertently becomes that with Angel. It seems. Yeah, like. it, it it seems very much like it does. Or they're just kind of trying to shoe. I just don't know if Angel as a character is enough to carry a show. Right. I mean. He's a, he's a brooding guy, and you kind of gets like boring after a little while. Although, they do end up making the Anne Rice joke uh, in uh, in School Hard, which is uh, season two. Yeah, uh, it's ta- parent teacher night. One of the first episodes, Spike rolls into town, and he decides that he wants to kill Buffy like at parent teacher night. And uh, and Angel shows up with Xander to try and help all the people that are trapped in the school. Mm-hmm. So Angel's great idea is like, he is a soul at this point is I'm going to pretend to like, you know, put Xander in a headlock and I'm going to pretend to like eat them so that I can get in nice and close. Right. And he and Spike have a banter and Spike's like, Oh, well you're not really like this brooding guy, right? People don't fall for that. Anne rice vampire thing still do they? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. And they end up like having it out. But, um, you know, yeah, I just feel like it didn't really... The characters were great side characters, but they weren't strong enough to carry a show. I also know that uh, Faith's Watcher ended up making it into Angel. He was in a... But apparently he goes through a big arc throughout that series, though. He goes from the Weasley, stiff up a British person, to a very yeah, changed he, person by right, the end. Right, sure, he ends up being a full-blown, I think, hero by the end. Okay. Um, you know, where he's this tougher guy and everything else. Like he, he is the Buffy coming from Cleveland version of himself at the beginning gotcha although totally creepy at the beginning that he's like a 35 year old guy hitting on cordelia as a senior in high school very obviously too like like just ogling at her yeah just like yeah and everyone makes like cradle robbing like jokes (laughs) but like he still goes ahead and does that yeah and marries allison hannigan in real life so i forgot oh i think i knew she was married to somebody in the show i forgot who though yeah it was wesley go figure i know um so your feelings on this episode overall? Um, I want to say that it's a one-off episode, but considering it introduces Anya into the overarching overarching storyline, I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't quite call it that. It's also it's a part one of a later part two doppelgangland. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of like love the world of seeing what it would be like without Buffy there. I liked. I love the fact that like Xander and Willow are in this alternate reality together. I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. They also, it's kind of an inconsistency because by the time Doppelgangland comes around, uh, they keep making references and it's foreshadowing the fact that Willow's going to be gay. Yeah. But that Willow who's gay is in a relationship with Xander in that Doppelgangland. So does it make, does... So it seemed shoehorned in later or they should have done it earlier and made her like a little bisexual in the first... Yeah, it one. definitely seemed like they writ themselves into a corner, so they had to cheat a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I do think uh, one of the last things that I thought I really liked about uh, the the story was that it all came about because of Xander and Willow and Cordelia and Oz, and the fact that Oz and Cordelia were really upset about the fact that Xander and, and Willow had cheated on them with each other. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the, the show... Xander ends up killing Cordelia, and Oz ends up killing Willow. Yeah. And, and in a pretty brutal way, too. It's not very just, like, like quick and it's done. It's like, somebody just sucks the blood out of another one and gets staked, and it's like, they get their vengeance, and they're, I guess, like, you could say, like, oh, I, I could kill him right now, kind of yeah, like, sure. thing. And I feel like it's a really good episode. I feel like some of the dialogue is a little clunky. 
I mean, but then again, like I, I've just been watching a lot of really good TV beforehand, so maybe I'm just being a little judgmental towards No, it's it. fair. And it's also, you also have to look at some of the actors. I mean, like, uh, you know, I think Xander's perfect for the role, but Nicholas Brandon, I mean, he was a, he was a PA who went for the part and, and had a stutter when he first started the show. Right. I mean, and, and, and Sarah Michelle Gellar's great and great in the role, but like doesn't have this unbelievable range and everything. Mm-hmm. I think Alison Hannigan and, and Anthony Stewart head are the true, are, are the real actors out of the group. Nothing to say bad against the other one, but we're just like, this is just our observation. Yeah, absolutely. In. Um, and, and Anthony Stewart head, I thought is phenomenal. And almost throughout the entire show, he's, he's unbelievable in almost everything. And it's funny because he had he was in a one-off episode of Doctor Who as a villain in a school. Oh, was he? Yeah, and there's a really funny moment because he has this slicked, like wet, slicked-backed hair when he first walks on. He's like, "Oh, you poor thing! I can help you. Come into my office." And then he closes the door, and then you hear like, like mushing sounds. You see him like his shadow transform, and he eats the child. Yeah, and just to have him. In like this, to see him in that episode and seeing that kind of a role, it's really different. And he says he's willing to come back to that that role in Doctor Who. And I'm like, I I just love to see him again. Yeah, I'd love to see him in something again. Uh, I know he does he does British TV parts here and there, and he's done he's done a lot of like theater acting as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I would have loved to see I would have loved to see uh, a uh, a spinoff with just him with just Giles. I thought would have been great. Which and they did continue it. In comic form, they have yes. like, a run called season eight and season nine, I think, as well. And Giles is mur- does die in, in during that ar- one then, of the arcs, and then I think comes back as like a twelve year old. Yes. Part of the problem I, I do have with Buffy is like, if you're gonna kill people, kill like, them. just kill them. Yes. You know, like there was this. It started to become too much of a a thing that it was. Then when you do kill those characters and don't bring them back. You're pissed off about it. Like, well, how come you couldn't bring back Tara when you're bringing back everyone else and you have to shoehorn something in so that it, oh, well, the reason you can't bring her back is because of this That's or the because pro- of that. That's the problem with a lot of literature. That once you bring in the fact you can bring somebody or revive somebody, right. it becomes problematic. Like this season of Arrow, they introduced Rachel Ghoul and Lazarus Pit, and you wonder all right, if we can bring this person back, why can't we just dig up these people and chuck them into the vat and right. see what happens? And it's like, it's a cool concept in the in at the moment, but the forethought afterwards. Yeah, you have to like, be so careful about the way that you do it. And it, like like when I did the hour podcast with my friends, we were just like, it be, like I said, it becomes really you write yourself into a corner. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the one. And it's also one of the things that comics. But also, I think like she becomes a lesbian at one point in those comic series as well. Yeah, something like that. I I by that point. They, I, I felt they had totally jumped the shark, and like, like I said, the show got too big because at that point you have something like, you know, like all the slayers that were potentials have power. So now you got like fifty slayers running around. Like I think in the comic book, she's supposed to, Buffy's supposed to be stationed out of Scotland with yeah. Giles, and then you know Faith is in like Italy, and someone else is in L.A., and it just becomes this like such this huge thing that it's like, you know, this started with like a a freshman in high school yeah. in a suburb in California, if all these other things are constantly happening, then, like, how did they get away with that for three seasons? You got to think of it this way. You got to think of Superman and Batman were just two men in the city, and now, nowadays, they're fighting galactic, like, interdimensional beings. Right. Like that. Well, I think that's why you have to, you know, I think there's a desire to make a show bigger and bigger every year. Yes. And, but that doesn't, it rarely makes it better. No. And that, you know, as long as you give me a different and interesting villain, 
I'm not going to care that it's still in Sunnydale. Yeah. You know, like, you didn't have to have me fighting, or her fighting, you know, like, the very first evil, or the this, or the that. Like, just give me, like, a really good villain that's concerned about, you know, some small problem, or some small thing that's going on. Thinking about villains right now, and what I was saying before, that he, that Whedon has respect for people who have faith, and he doesn't. I do realize the season four, like, baddie is named Adam. Yeah. Which is not too subtle of Adam and Eve. Yeah, exactly. And then Nathan Fillion's villain at the end of season seven is a priest. Yeah. And it's just like, subtlety hammer. Yeah. Also, like, this weird disgraced priest who's been clearly, like, po- like raping and murdering the girls of the past, like, the of the commu- church communities that yes. he's been going around to, which is, like, beyond weird and creepy. Well, I think that was after Firefly's cancellation, so I think he was still pretty pretty pissed off anyways that's why he made those kind of decisions that's why i feel like after george lucas gets divorced in 1983 and spielberg loses his oscar in 1982 they make temple of doom sure george lucas is mad at women yeah so he makes kate capture being like the the really terrible person yeah in that pretty movie. awful and then uh spielberg loses a movie that's championing indian uh culture and putting down british uh imperialism who saves him at the end of that movie? It's British uh, uh, dignitaries and, and with with India Indians like soldier help, right? But like, who are the villains? They're native, like the tribal Indians and stuff like that. So I feel like those kind of things do affect your work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know if 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 you know that the executive producer who spurns you is going to be watching it, or anybody who who's irritated you or done this thing that's driven you crazy, you know they're going to end up watching it. Then like, why not put it in there as like a backhanded slap? Right, like uh, apparently, Roland Emmerich got like, uh, like attacked like by uh, Siskel and Ebert in like for Independence Day. Sure. So in Godzilla, the mayor and the uh, assistant are Siskel and Ebert. Right. And then they they pointed it out there in the interview of him, like, all right, if you're gonna do that to us, why don't have like Godzilla crush us at least something like that? Yeah. Not just have like make us uh, like a joke, like. Yeah, really get at it. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Oh, this episode, yeah, introduces Anya, which is great. Introduces Doppelgangland, which is totally awesome. Um, I love the Master coming back uh, because I really, I thought that they didn't quite utilize him enough. I would have liked to see him, yeah, kind of like the above ground hell on earth. You know, they kept saying when the Masters was still around, like just him rising up was going to be this massive upheaval of everything. But they don't really explain why because any other vampire that would come up like isn't causing that to happen no so it was nice to see him being up and things actually totally collapsing around and this like dystopian future and no children prophecies to be the the key to his plan yeah that, that's also like one of the worst parts about buffy ever is what, what i forget what is they called him like but yeah. the little kid with the horribly overdubbed voice i'm like you couldn't have find like an omen child or something like that yeah Anyway, like I was saying, I really enjoyed the episode. It's a nice, like, it's a nice one-off, but has still the same themes for the entire season. And would you recommend this show overall to people still, even with all of our complaining? You know what? Yeah, I totally would. I've been trying to get Steph to watch, my wife to watch, and uh, it's been a mixed bag so far because you don't want to bypass season one because there's so much character development that happens there, but at the same time, you, it's don't, not the strongest. you don't want them to hate the show because there are a lot of bad episodes in it. So I would say, you know, maybe pick, you know, Welcome to the Hellmouth and, and maybe one or two others and then Prophecy Girl and then skip right to season two and season three, which are the heart of it. 
Get Out by season four. Yeah, I think it ha- during those three seasons. I think it's one of one of the, my favorite shows of all time and very strong. But but it certainly has its weaknesses. But you, the way I thought of it is because I watched them while I was up at college and stuff like that. So and I had Netflix and I had time in between classes. So when I was in between classes or like I got my stuff done, so I'm like, oh, I'll watch an episode and stuff like that. I consciously said, this is late 90s, early 2000 TV. Sure. So, Sopranos is a gem right now. At this current, The Wire is just about to start. Yep. Oz is going on. So, and those are pushing at the forefront of what's going on. You look at those shows today, those are the standard. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you see, like, things like House of Cards, Breaking Bad. Yeah, absolutely. So, you got to... You got to be a little conscious, like, all right, this is a different time. That's why. You well, do- and it's also a different demographic. I mean, I think I think you need to realize when you're getting into the show that that lots of people love it. It's it's made a ton of top 100 TV shows of all time lists. So it's yeah. not it's not a slouch show. I think it's you know in, in top 50 of most of them. But whether we like it or not, you know, I fell in love with it as this you know 11, 12 year old like guy. Mm-hmm. But the show's written for 14 year old girls. Oh, for sure. It's written to be like. This pro-feminist, look at this strong woman who can totally kick ass. But it is written for 14-year-old girls in, like, 1998. Yeah, but it's also, it's, like, it's for strong women and stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it's not grading at the same point. No, absolutely not. And I think I think that that's because of the casting. I think uh, when they had originally considered actresses to play Buffy and the ancillary characters, uh, both the girl Harmony, mm-hmm. who is a bit character throughout the show, and ends up being a really funny character when she gets turned into a vampire after season three, and like she becomes like such a like like a lost puppy when and found again when it comes to Spike, and she's like, cl- um, yeah, clutches him, totally clinging to him as this weak female character, but then ends up reading a whole bunch of self help books and is like, I'm an independent woman who doesn't need no man, right, and like kicks him out. But uh, but she was up for being Buffy, and so was um, Cordelia. Cordelia, Charisma Carpenter, and I think it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been the same show. No, but also like because I think part of like I said, her acting as well as Sarah Michelle Gellar's background in she had taken martial arts and dancing and stuff like sure. that, so that probably had a big part of playing into it. So. I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode thus far, or this well, this episode, stuff like that, and to continue part of uh, Halloween season 2015. Happy Halloween, everyone. Yes. Now, do you, do you have a Twitter or an Instagram or a Pinterest or anything like I, that? I have, a, I, have a, uh, I have an Instagram. I'm at Fred Sleds with a PH. Okay. So if you want to follow Fred, go there on Instagram. If you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 <clears throat> I'm sorry that my voice is getting off clumps right now um as well as you can follow my youtube page through the lens productions with my latest promo for halloween season 2015 is up with a horror themed halloween themed movie coming at uh, hopefully by the end of october so i hope everybody's enjoyed this episode on soundcloud uh, about buffy the vampire slayer and we'll be talking to you guys very soon thank you very much see ya Grr, arg.